0: Ian, are you still there? You're gone. No problem.
1: Prophet, preacher, sermon leader, rector, reverend, deacon, elder, what the hell is a pastor? So listeners, we spent like 10 minutes trying to figure out what theology topic we wanted to talk about. And instead decided to do a, a recommendations episode or just to talk about what we're reading. And so... Yeah. I'll kick it off with, um, I've been reading for um, a class I'm taking through Hood Theological School, Seminary. Uh, Hood
0: Hood or Howard? I thought you said you were doing something at Howard.
1: I said it was Howard, uh, but it's Hood, and I apologize again for my whiteness, uh, for assuming that that's what I went through.
0: Um, (laughs) but. There's I, only one black seminary, and it's Howard.
1: <laughs> I know, and I and it was an H, and I just I I went for it, and I'm sorry, but so through Hood, and this book is called God's Country, and it is by um, Brad Roth, and okay. it's at, at times it's a little it's a little campy, uh, not campy, but because we were just talking about Buffy, at times it's a little um, hokey. But mm-hmm. I, I think that it's actually uh, been really good to talk about how um, rural, rural churches have a real sense of place and a real sense of, of groundedness that we don't, um, that you don't always find in suburban churches um, hmm. or yeah, in, yeah. in some city churches too, because there's so much um, there, our population moves so much these days, uh, and so it's been really beautiful to think about like what what is good about the rural church instead of what the rural church is lacking. So this sense of place, um, the the way that like the pace of life actually leads us to um, being bastions of prayer like the rural church's ministry in terms of the larger church, because if the church is all interconnected, like we want the church to be, then the rural church can be this place of like just deep spiritual growth and prayer for the entire body of Christ. And so there's no real need to push the rural church to be like what the city churches are doing, or even like what bigger suburban churches are doing, but to let them be these quiet peaceful places where like honest loving prayers go up to God uh, and I found that to be really great and I've been bouncing between that and native by Caitlin B Curtis who is uh, Potawatomi and oh, but, mm, I will learn how to say that uh, who is an indigenous <laughs> listeners drove from the future here it's Potawatomi who's an indigenous writer and um, reflects on uh, what we have to learn from indigenous people and uh, how we can challenge white supremacy and just like the wisdom that she has in that i mean i like i follow her on twitter and i love her twitter presence uh but her, this book has just been like balm to my soul as well so those are the those are the two that i've made the most progress on i've also picked up white fragility by robin d'angelo yeah yeah um, and I, I think there's gonna be a lot in here that I already kind of know and so I might skim it more. But those are those are the ones that are on my uh current heavy rotation, in addition to American Profits, which I have just mentioned over right, and over
0: again. Right, right, yes, yes. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. I I'm also kind of reading a, a collection of things. I, I try to do that because I, I like to kind of go back and forth and uh, ever since getting off of my ADD medicine that I'm hopefully going to get back on when I start school again, I I, I used to be able to just kind of read a whole book and mm-hmm. and like like relatively fast, but like really consistently keep my mind on it and and really read it uh, and then move on to the next one. Now I have I've discovered that I, in order to stay engaged, I kind of have to read a chapter here and then read a, a chapter at another book and whatever.
1: I found that uh, um, my depression has done that to me, is that I have no oh, lack okay. of focus because of my depression. And so I have to, like, read a chapter, go do something else. Like, I, I can't sit and absorb something like I used to. I
0: I understand. I understand. I I, I hope that that goes away for you because I find it to be very annoying for me. Yeah. Um. But uh, we'll see, I guess um but i've been reading a couple of of different things i'm i'm trying to find one of the the title of of one of the books i'm reading or i'm going to start soon but i need to make sure i i know the title well so let me let me look for it really really quickly
1: yeah while um, you're looking i have there have been a couple of things that i've been able to absorb via audiobook oh uh, okay and so I listened to Letter to My Daughter by Maya Angelou, which I recommend everybody listen to because it's it's part memoir. It's part wisdom. It's real powerful. Did it listen to it in an afternoon. And I just I adored it. Um, and then I also listened to the let me see um, the Book of Longings by Sue Monk Kidd where she imagines a wife for Jesus and does like a ton of historical research about all, like just the world that Jesus is in. Um, mm-hmm. And it, there are, there are ways in which the plot is just really convenient as to why she's not there for the majority of Jesus's ministry. But the way she wrote Jesus is so beautiful and it is, it just articulated, um, I, I in my life have often uh, refrained from coming up with a, a conception of of Jesus because I I don't want to be wrong because it would just it would just crush me. But how she understands Jesus is uh, so good and so like fulfilling. And um, there are like there are real classic parts of the book that aren't examined um, by. But they're, they're still challenged by like the rhetoric of Jesus in the book. And you feel that tension, but, right. it, and it's like, I mean, for people who want to think that Jesus was single, it's hella sacrilegious because like she and Jesus have great sex, but at the same time, like <laughs> <laughs> it's a, and like, and she goes on birth control, like the, the, have each taking the preventative herbs that would um, like, lower the chances of pregnancy that were available at the time. Uh, and Jesus like is, they have a real conversation about it, uh, about like, cause Jesus wants kids and, and all this kind of stuff. And it's, uh, it's so, pow- it's so good. It's, and, and I say this as, um, I think that it's something really powerful for white ladies. I cannot speak to how anybody else would read it, but I was really moved by the book of longings. So that's that's my that's my other spiegel of uh, things. Did you find the one that you're going through?
0: Yes, I did. That sounds really, really great.
1: Yeah.
0: Um so I am reading, uh, let me tell you some of the stuff I'm reading. I'm reading, I've I've talked about uh, a guy by the name of Vincent Lloyd on the podcast yes. before. Mm-hmm. I, I finished one of his books uh called Rethinking Grace. Ooh. Um which, which was a really cool book. I, I'm going to, uh, uh, so it's a really cool book. It, it's, it's very dense, but it's a piece of political theology where he kind of re-explores and kind of, um, uh, offers, a, an idea of, of virtue theory kind of within politics. He calls it theopolitical virtues. Hmm. Um, and and he kind of he he draws he draws from a number of really kind of different thinkers uh and you know in in kind of jewish and christian thought so he kind of he kind of pulls from things here or there i'm it, it's a it's a kind of a hard book to describe i'm i'm not gonna spend a a ton of time with it to describe here because it's just more um it's not that it's like really really technical but it's more suggestive it's it's a um he he kind of offers a uh maybe an alternative to how um political theorists and theologians may be able to think about um uh, uh constructing good politics and good society mm. um what i like about vincent lloyd is that he's he, he is really, really postmodern, but in a particular way. And he, he talks about that particular way by saying most postmodern thinkers over the last 25 or 30 years are postmodern without being post-secular. Right. And so like they assume the narrative of secularity in a lot of their postmodern thought when really the secular is a modern invention. You know, the, the category of the secular is, is rooted in modernity. Um, and so a properly postmodern way of thinking would also be to heavily critique and possibly reject the secular as well as the sacred. And, uh, and so I like Vincent Lloyd cause he spends a lot of time kind of thinking about that. In all of his books, but that really comes across in, in in this book, Rethinking Grace. Um, but I'm reading currently by Vincent Lloyd a book called Religion of the Field Negro. Hmm. Uh Vincent Lloyd is a black theologian. He's a black liberation theologian, a black political theologian. And and so uh and it's been really interesting. Wow. Like this, so this is a book about um he is making the claim in this book that black theology is um, has been tamed by black secular thinking. Hmm. And he, and he juxtaposes it between he, he uses the image of the field Negro and the house Negro. Oh, uh, to kind of speak in these ways. And, and now his idea of what black secularism is, is, is very particular. Like, Mm -hmm. like a, a black secular thinker is not necessarily a, a black atheist thinker or, or, uh, you know, you know what I mean? Like he, he, he would say that somebody like a James Baldwin is a black theologian. And, Mm -hmm. and even though James Baldwin is not, is not specifically theistic, you know, in his way of thinking but uh he would claim you know he would claim like a James Baldwin and and that but but he would he would say somebody like a Barack Obama uh may be a house negro
1: oh i am uh, you know my reaction to that is that that rings really deeply true especially in light of obama's support of just like defunding the police and telling people to to stop doing violent protests like i i hear that cuz uh, obama for all that he has he has the receipts of being an organizer and all this kind of stuff he has like settled into this place of political privilege and that that really rings true with a house slave to
0: me right now keep in mind we're very white like i'm i'm trying to really try to put use the words of vincent lloyd here like
1: right right
0: right you know i'm not yeah so but so keep that in mind but it's a really vincent lloyd i, I mentioned before that he's a really great writer not every theologian is a is also a good writer mm-hmm. um but vincent lloyd is he's he writes very well and he and i and i i find his like collection of of people he draws upon to be really thoughtful and really interesting as he draws upon you know folks like like malcolm x and cone and and um uh, uh, um, um audrey lord and and mm. and lots of lots of different folks um to kind of make his claim but yeah it, it, religion of the field negro is is a really interesting he you know he in is in the introduction right out of the gate he he says that the only proper theology is black theology like mm. like all all other forms of the and by black he, he's really drawing upon like a cone cone's way of saying talking about black black as shorthand for theology of the oppressed and the marginalized you know like like and 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 so when he talks about white theology he he said Vincent Lloyd just kind of says all white theology is idolatrous. All white theology is false theology. Mm. All theology done from the sort of vantage of of the the on purpose vantage of the powerful or of the status quo is automatically idolatrous because because it assumes um, to know who God is and what God is. And,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: And and things like that. Whereas for for you know Vincent Lloyd, all proper theology all is is black theology and and i think that's that's interesting and he he makes the claim then of of black secular thinking that one of the reasons why that's why that has tamed black theology is that black uh, he says that black secular thought um uh assumes something of the universal because because that's what secularism is anyway right you know, secularism is, is this sort of departicularized you know, approach. And I think it's really interesting. So that's a good book. I'm also going to start a book uh, by a guy named Colin Woodard. I might be pronouncing that w- wrong. It's spelled Woodard, W-O-O-D-A-R-D. So Woodard maybe is, is how I might pronounce it. Mm. Um, and it's called American Nations. The History of the Eleven Rival Regional Cultures of North America. Ooh. Um, and, and I haven't started it yet, but it, but it seems to be about, um, you know, kind of identifying the, uh, the, the, the disunion <laughs> of the union, right? right? And so, like, there's really no such thing as American culture there, is, there are, are regions of the country that, that have distinct approaches to the human being, to politics, to community, to life and language and things like that. And, and he, he is somebody who's, who's sort of attempting to identify them. And it's really builds off of some of the material I read in college um, when I was a sociology major. on on why um, the United States' uh, relationship with the Southern United States is so bad. Yeah. Uh, because, Because the assumption, one of the reasons why it's bad is that the assumption that a lot of these kind of Northern thinkers, politicians, sociologists, philosophers, anybody, is making is that the southern states are sort of a part of the Union and and it's and it's just kind of how it is, when really often the Confederacy, if you will, still functions as its separate country. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it functions culturally as a separate country. Not only does it function culturally as a separate country, but it functions culturally as a separate country who's lost a war. <laughs> you know? Right. Like it, it, it functions culturally in a similar way, till say like Poland functions, you know, or or you know a a a sovereign nation that that has been at the the losing end of wars and conflicts, you know, and so there's something economically very different, and culturally very different, and politically very different about the southern states and this book seems to then kind of build off of that and then and say well really we discovered that everywhere you know in the mm-hmm. in the united states we discovered that that that's true you know kind of across the board in a number of, of areas so i'm excited to start that
1: did you buy that do you have that
0: i do have that i do have that when it's you're... on go ahead yes, go for it go for it i was it. gonna say
1: when you're done with it if something you can send to me i would take it but i'm hearing that you maybe have it on kindle
0: no no i have it i have it physically okay I have a physically, it's just on my, it's on, it's all of my books are packed and this is a book that isn't packed. Um, And, and it's just at at my bedside table underneath other things I'm reading. So like, I, I know it's there. I just had to look at the title Yeah. uh, to get the title, right?
1: Whenever you Um, get, um, whenever you get through it, I think that would be a really helpful way of framing uh, what to do about the Confederate statue in my town. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Maybe. Because there's a real, there's a real hurt, there's a real feeling that the sons of the Confederacy have, and I and I pointed at this in the um, religion column that I wrote for the local newspaper, where I said like white people, it like you are going to endure pain in this, and people are calling you to endure pain, and I know you don't want to, but we must. And so I think we also have to look at the fact that like there is pain in the confederate, the former Confederacy. Um, it, and that ignoring that doesn't fix it. Now, like, is it, uh, is it pain that really needs to uh, be like babied and honored? No, but I think we have to we have to figure out a way to acknowledge the fact that like there's there's hurt there, and it's not people of color's job to like deal with that hurt and walk people through that hurt, but like other white people gotta, and we can't do it if we don't name it.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. I, as a kind of a lightning round, uh, other like thin books that I have been going in between that are kind of related to to work. As um, I've been reading, Doctor Poe's "The Adept Church," the book he just gave. Oh, out
0: I'm so glad! I, I wanted to buy that. I haven't bought it yet.
1: Ian bought it, and I'm using his copy.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. um,
1: the it's um, ta- the uh, the in the first chapter they talk about churches as um you are either a swamp, and I think Thurman, I think he's pulling from Thurman with this, this imagery, you're a swamp where things are kind of decaying, or you are a, um, you're a reservoir that, uh, can be pulled from to point to other places, and that, you know, I have it in front of me, let me see what it is, and it, it goes with the, um, yeah. Swamp, reservoir, or canal. So are you a place where water is not flowing? Are you a place where uh, you can send resources out, but you're really kind of hoarding it for yourself? Or are you a canal which gets the resources where they need to be, spiritual, mm-hmm. physical, otherwise? Um, which I think is, is a helpful kind of way to look at churches um, and just being honest about where you're at. And it is Thurman that he's pulling from. And then it, it's interstitched with the story of Esther and and talking about um like how you how how you have to consider your location and what you can do and then act boldly <laughs> in, mm-hmm. in in that. So that's been that's been good. I'm not far in that, but that's good. I'm also reading David Finnegan Hosey's Grace is a pre existing condition, fellow Wesley going? alum. And it's been good. Um And he, it's like the stuff in Christ on the psych ward is a lot of him talking about his mental health journey. And this is about, um, framing, uh, the mental health care system in the United States, um, in terms of like, we all have, should have like this preexisting, uh, access to it just the way that we all have grace kind of it's you know uh, david come on the show <laughs> and explain it to sure, us sure, like, you've be been great. doing podcasts left and right come to ours um but yeah i'm gonna read more about that and we can talk about more of that later
0: that that's cool so i've actually been really convicted to read more howard thurman
1: yes um
0: uh, particularly because like a lot of what i what what something that i'm always very interested in naturally like like well since seminary has been black and womanist thought like that's something that's always that 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 when I started reading that in seminary I've been like really moved by and really interested in and it's and it's a dimension that I want to kind of incorporate in my own work as a as a student soon and and like I you know I I we read one thing by Thurman in seminary and spiritual formation and it was not Thurman's fault that I was soured on it it was just the class Right. And I just and I just never went back to him, but but I've been really convicted to to really start diving into Howard Thurman again and mm-hmm. uh, and and seeing, you know, kind of just just because of his such an he's such an important influence on everybody. Yeah. You yeah. know, and, and and is and is so highly regarded as a thinker and as a spiritual writer. And so I really have been convicted to to get back into Howard Thurman and, and really really give him a, a a fairer a fairer shake.
1: Yeah. I um uh, yeah I had Dr. Smith for New Testament and she would start out each session. So I had a whole year of Howard Thurman devotionals at the she would she would pick like different um she would never read like a whole chapter or like a, a whole meditation, but would pick like a paragraph out of it and like let us chew on it. And it would be it, usually very related to what we were talking about in the New Testament at the time. And so I had the same the same thought with if I had only been ex- uh, exposed to Thurman in that uh spiritual formation class i probably would have rolled my eyes like i kind of kind of do it like henry Nowen now is i'm like i yeah, yeah it was sold to me as something really profound and i don't think i can come back to now and yet uh but because i had thurman in another place it, it like I I also like feel the need to go back and reread, but I've always had that's that's somebody who like I would honestly genuinely quote in like my boom paperwork and not do it because I'm virtue signaling, but because I it, he's had such an impact on me too. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I should. By, I should do
1: that. Uh, yeah, you should. But, I have a book by I have Sister Outsider by Audre Lorde that that's on my mm-hmm. list to dig into. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I there, there are all of these reading lists coming out now of like, go educate yourself, go do this. Um, and I, I appreciate the, um, the thought behind it. Cause there are people who need to go learn and do, but where I am at in my journey toward being an anti-racist, like if I were to dig really hard into any of these books right now, it would send me into a catatonic state. Like I, I am in enough pain from all of this and, and overwhelmed enough by the world that I can't absorb it in a good spirit. So I've also been indulging in escapism. I read The Faceless Old Woman Who Secretly Lives in Your Home by the the Night Vale people, which is like this great parable of revenge and it's, it's beautiful and it's horrifying and I loved it. (laughs) So yeah, yeah, I will, I will keep on doing my work, but I also like, if it sends you into the abyss, it's not helping anybody. And so I've been trying to balance it.
0: Yeah. I mean, and I, I think that, you know, the, the books were re- the books I'm reading are not necessarily all geared towards trying to make sense of the situation that is before us. You know, I'm, I'm trying to, it, and, and I don't think it needs to be a hundred percent that like, we're still human beings. We're not machines, you know, we're, we need to be able to balance well and 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 come back to things and and stuff like that like the religion of the field negro has a rea has been really interesting and 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 really kind of fascinating uh you know look at everything not just what's going on now but just sort of uh uh you know everything that's kind of in front of me i uh the other thing so do you remember in 2015 um the the controversy surrounding L- L- dr larisha hawkins i was in scotland that year oh okay okay so it was it was a woman she she taught at wheaton college and she wore a hijab in solidarity with with muslim women
1: oh i do maybe remember this yeah keep going
0: so she you know she was the first black woman to receive tenure at Wheaton college of political science. And she was just run through the ringer with doing this. And, and they ended up, they ended up parting ways they ended up, cause she ended up kind of leaving and, 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 and all that. Well, they, they just finished not too long ago, the documentary on her. Oh. And I, and I watched that. It was on Amazon prime. And I'm watching this and, and, it was really interesting. Like, it was a really cool documentary and, and really awful what was happening. But, like, a ton of Wheaton professors were being interviewed in it, and they were all like, this is absurd. Like, Dr. Hawkins is a practicing Christian and an incredible scholar and a great professor. And the way she was treated was terrible. And we went, you know, and each different professor talked about going to bat for her and how it just didn't work out, and, you know, and different stuff like that we got a a glimpse and they they interviewed her and went to her home in Oklahoma like her family home in Oklahoma and talked about her upbringing in the black church and Hmm. you know and and it was it was really really interesting um she is a professor of political science and religion at UVA now oh yeah and so like I'm like oh my gosh like, <laughs> like that's cool like I didn't know that and so like I'm kind of following her reading lists as well and 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 following her on Twitter now and so it, it's been it's been interesting uh the the readings and and the things that we're doing that that I'm doing to kind of try to stay sane and make sense of stuff and stuff that's opening up you know yeah, but uh, friends, I would say if if, uh, if you are interested in, um, you know, just kind of thinking through what the church can do and what Christians can do, you know, kind of in light of of all of the stuff that's happening, or or at least coming to the surface, right? Because this stuff's been happening forever.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: there um i i would say reading black theology is is a really important place to begin
1: yeah if you've never picked up the cross the lynching tree buckle up buy it's worth it
0: well uh, yeah actually so so that james Cohn wrote cross the lynching tree it's in many ways it's probably his most accessible work um i think my mom is reading it right now actually
1: look at your mom
0: oh yeah she's great she's she's doing it
1: my mom shared uh, yeah. a, a Black Lives Matter post on Facebook and I was yeah. like, oh, we've done it. We've gotten to them. <laughs> it was so
0: exciting. Yeah, we've, we've defeated them. Um, but but I, w- I would do that, friends. Um, if you are, you should definitely start with that. If, if you're white, I recommend it as, as well. Uh, in the last podcast we, that we posted, uh, a, a book called My People is the Enemy.
1: Mm, by Stringfellow.
0: By Stringfellow. Um, you should not start with this. You should start with a black thinker. Um but but My People is the Enemy is a is a piece of kind of autobiographical theology in which Stringfellow writes about William Stringfellow was a theologian and a lawyer uh in from the sixties to the mid eighties when he died. And he um had a law practice in Harlem throughout the 60s and into the 70s where he represented he did a ton of pro bono work and and would represent the people of harlem for all kinds of stuff and my people is the enemy is a book kind of written about that it's an autobiographical book about what what stringfellow kind of learns as a christian lawyer in harlem in the 60s and about race and, and his complicity in race as a white man and stuff like that. And it's a really interesting book. It's a powerful book. Um, and Stringfellow is a one of those sort of, um, like Cone in this way, like if Cone is one of the top two or three most important North American theologians ever, like like stringfellow is one of those thinkers as well that like is so deeply uniquely north american right like his his theology has in mind this context like mm-hmm. this this country with this history and these people you know what i mean and so as a north american like we're we're really getting what i might call a an untranslated first hand theology you know, of, of people who are thinking through what it means to be people who live here. Um, Both Cone and Stringfellow.
1: I think that's good. And I Mm -hmm. I think that the especially great thing about pointing to both of them is that they're not shying away from um, the original sins of the United States. And I think that that any work that's done within the United States that doesn't doesn't reflect in some way on on this um on you know the genocide and and the enslavement that that built this country i think if we're not if we aren't engaging with that then we're not you're we're missing the point and you're just you're just peddling snake oil uh Mm -hmm. for for most for the most part um yeah i think those are good suggestions to end on
0: yeah yeah Plus, my people is the enemy is like a great, like hardcore punk band name.
1: Ooh, and yeah. So
0: and so, somebody should should do that. That might be good. A great anti-racist hardcore punk uh, band name. My people will come and enemy.
1: mosh at your concerts.
0: I will definitely do that if you're any good. If you're no good, I'll I'll I will i i will not So you have to be good too. But no, I agree. Uh, well, my friends, this has been a mini show of what the hell is a pastor. We are Spanks, Reebok and the dude, and we will see you next time. Did you know that what we just recorded right now is the last what the hell is a pastor podcast Uh, With me sitting in my office.
1: Oh, Mm -hmm. how you feel about that?
0: I feel (laughs) fan-fucking-tastic.
1: There you go.